My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 13. With the medical business out of the way, I was able to focus on fully accepting my single status and embracing the opportunities for uncomplicated mutual pleasure with like-minded guys. Not exactly being a dirty low-down slut, but taking a more proactive attitude to meeting men. For example, I went to see a play in the West End, The Inheritance. It's the best play you'll ever see, my friends had said. I took tissues because I'd been told I would be in floods of tears by the end. I took my seat in the circle and noticed a handsome guy in his thirties in the row in front of me, a few seats to the right. When he turned round to look for something, he caught my eye. We smiled. It wasn't the best play ever. A muddled rag-bag of a piece with some naff performances, cliched characters and disabling set. There was one standout actor who delivered the goods. I was unmoved, bored and disappointed. My tissues were unused. As we filed out of the theatre, the other guy and I found ourselves shuffling along near each other. We shared another smile. Were we cruising each other or not? I wasn't sure. I hung around in the alley at the side of the building, milling about with the rest of the audience who seemed mostly animated and voluble. And there he was again, alone. I decided, nothing ventured, nothing gay. I went up to him, smiled and said, Hello, did you enjoy that? As simple as that. Our conversation had begun. No, he also wasn't impressed. He'd gone to see it as a friend of his was in the cast. Oh dear, what will you say? It's all right, I can be honest with him. I still wasn't sure if we were flirting or not, but talking was a good start. Then his friend arrived. He'd been playing one of the leads, the one whose performance I really liked, so I was genuinely able to congratulate him. I hoped to keep the chat spinning, but was aware the two of them would want to go off and talk. They hadn't seen each other for a long time. The handsome guy asked my name. Jonty, I told him, short for Jonathan. He laughed. I didn't know why. Jonathan on the air, I said. When I read the news, I said. On the radio, the BBC. I wanted him to be able to find me, to follow up, without having to run to the next village to find a computer in a library as Oliver had two decades before. I asked him his name. Jonathan, he said, with another laugh. And that was it. I shook their hands and left. End of. But no, not entirely. A couple of days later, unable to let the meeting go and still wondering if there was potential for development, I decided to leave a note at the stage door for the actor. I offered him some brief congrats on his performance and then added, inspired by the play... I'm taking the risk of giving you my number in case your friend Jonathan wants to go for a coffee sometime. Jonathan. I rather fancied the idea of having a boyfriend with the same name. No, not, not boyfriend. Sex or, or a drink. So many time wasters on the apps. At least he was a real person. Or was he? I never heard a word from him. So much for recently being in Paris. The following week, I got lucky. On Tinder, as we've said, there's only the chance of communication if both parties want it. It's like knocking on a door, knowing someone inside has had a squint through the peephole and waiting to see if they open up and invite you in. 
On most of the other apps, intercourse, social I mean, can be initiated by anyone with anyone else, as if there is no door at all, and someone can just walk right into your bedroom and begin a conversation. How big is your dick? Isn't what I want to hear on a first greeting. Nor, here's mine, want a shag? I'm not exaggerating. There were plenty of other gentler chats that allowed for tact, charm, and even wit, but there were also men who thought the way to a man's heart was through his ass and would cheerfully send a dick pic as a calling card. Oh, but we haven't been formally introduced, I wanted to gasp, clutching my pearls. It was on Tinder that Lucky appeared. Most likes I'd send would get no response, and I'd forget about them, moving on to other faces. But this young man liked me back. His profile said he was nineteen, and for once I didn't think this was a lie. Then his first message came through. Fuck me, with a couple of emojis, a winking face and a lolling tongue. I replied, OK, with a brace of emojis of my own. Then came, How big are you? I had to go to a drawer to find a ruler and check. You'd think I'd know, but no. I measured and told him. Ooh, he texted. You free today? I told him I was due at work before long. Shame. I really want your cock ASAP. I thought about it. It was 4pm, and I was due at the BBC at 7.30. Where are you? I asked. Westminster. Hmm, you're close. I was tipping. Can we make this happen? I can come over now. So he did. By the time I'd had a shower, taken a Viagra, and given the bathroom taps a polish, he texted to say he was at the tube station two minutes from my place. God, he was keen. I actually ran part of the way. And there he was. Beautiful. Floppy, dark hair, stunning features. Bashful and almost certainly nineteen. Hi, he said. I'm lucky. Not as lucky as me, I thought. As we walked the two hundred metres to my flat, we chatted. I asked if he'd had some good encounters through Tinder. No, he said. This is my first. Oh. In fact, you're the first man I've ever been with. Oh. He said it was just something he felt he wanted to try. I was so touched, excited, honoured. I said he'd be fine and he didn't need to worry. I said I would look after him. I found many reasons to touch his arm or his shoulder as we walked. We got into the lift. You're so beautiful, I said. May I? He nodded. I stroked his lovely smooth cheek. In the flat I got him a beer. He went to the loo. There was a loud, long fart. Was he trying to make sure he was clean? We sat side by side on the sofa and talked. I felt fine, confident, lucky. So lucky. He seemed anxious but keen. Again I asked permission, saying I'd like to kiss him if I may. Yes. Oh, God, he was delicious. His hand went soon to my crotch, where it found me hard. He wanted more, but it was awkward. I stood up for him. He unzipped. I had no pants on, so my cock sprang out. He gasped and started to suck it. Deep. All the way. This was rare. I asked if it was really the first cock he'd sucked. He said, <laughs> I said, Well, you're bloody, bloody good at it. I got him to stand so I could take his clothes off too. I had to restrain him from removing his boyish wife-fronts. No, I said, I want to do that. Let's go next door. In the bedroom I took off his pants. A fine cock and trimmed fuzz. 
and a smooth, tight body. I pushed him onto the bed. We sucked, each, both. We kissed. I moved him around as I wanted him. I sucked his toes. I nibbled on his nipples, his little flat nipples, and I rimmed him, hoping he'd relax enough. He was on all fours, ready. Have you got a condom? Yes, I'm one of the good guys. Don't worry, Lucky. Don't do anything you don't want to. We'll be gentle. I put a condom on. He watched me. Then I lubed him and me. I suggested he lie on his back. I put a pillow under his hips and tried gently, slowly, to enter him. But it hurt him, and we soon stopped. He said, Can I do it to you? Can you fuck me? <laughs> I'm a top. I never get fucked. Sorry, but nothing ever goes in there. But then I thought about wanting to be more versatile, even about my state of mind at the hospital. I said, it probably won't work, but we can try. I passed him a condom and lube. I lay back. He tried. No, too painful. I asked him to lie back so I could sit down onto him. I tried. I really tried, but again... It wasn't going to happen. The feeling was not pleasure, but pain. And... And there were too many memories. I'd hoped it would magically go beyond that, and suddenly I'd reach that enchanted place where I'd shout, Yes, yes, fuck me. But no. So off came the condoms, and I sucked him again until he muttered, I'm going to come. I doubled my efforts, and he did. I let him see the cum dribble from my mouth onto the tight drum of his belly. Soon he asked if he could shower, please. So polite and well-spoken. I got him a fresh towel. He dressed quickly. Before he left, I had to know about his name. It suited him, I said. Was it his real Christian name? Well, I've not been baptised, but Lucky is my given name. So precise. Unusual parents. Yes, they are. What's their story, I wondered. Well, I have to get back. I've got an essay to write for tomorrow. He was studying for A-levels, for God's sake. Sorry, but I didn't think it would drag on for so long. Drag on? Don't disappear, Lucky, I said. Unless you want to. You know where I am. He smiled, not wanting to hurt my feelings with a lie, nor with the truth. Give me a hug, I said. He did. You're a fine young man. I hope you get what you want in life. Thanks, Jaunty. You too. He walked down the corridor, and I blew him a kiss as he stepped into the lift and the doors closed. I went back inside. I noticed the clock on the oven. It was 5.17pm. I checked our messages. His fuck me had been sent at 3.48, so from first online greeting to farewell had been one hour and twenty-nine minutes. Delicious, but frustrating and far too brief. I took a screenshot of his gorgeous face, but by the time I was about to send a little message of nice to meet you and I hope you got home safely, the equivalent of the thank you noclet to an auntie for a birthday gift, he'd gone. I mean, the messages were gone and his profile and pictures were all gone, vanished into the air as if he'd never been there at all. But he had. I knew next to nothing about him, I couldn't ever contact him again, and I knew I'd never see him again. All I had was the memory of a lucky encounter, a couple of condoms on the bed, and a slight tingle in my butt.
age. It's a strange notion, isn't it? Not a notion exactly, but a fact. Sometimes we value longevity, as in old friends, and sometimes the O word feels unwelcome. I'm at an age when I feel embarrassed about the actual figure and want to disguise it or avoid the subject. On Grinder, you can pay more to hide your age. Otherwise, I think the algorithm decides from your data elsewhere, Facebook and so on, and tells the world how old you are. Most guys simply lie. It looks to me as if ten years is the average deduction. It's a crazy amount. Very few people can hope to get away with that sort of discrepancy. I found it simpler to assume everyone was lying, and I simply stopped looking at the figure. Just as I'd ignore any reference to their height expressed metrically. 185 means zilch to me, and is also irrelevant. I wasn't looking for fun with a man of a certain height, but with a man of a certain character. Or age. Yes, it was important to me, but I didn't want it to be important to others. I, I know, I know. I don't fancy men of my own age. Man with a white beard, not sexy. It's the contrast that's attracted the difference from me. Discussing it with Pedro months later, and Pedro is very significant, we'll come on to him in due course, he wondered if there's some deep biological urge, a vestigial knowledge that too narrow a gene pool would not be good for the health of the species, so we instinctively choose a mate who is radically other. Even for those of us who are mating for fun, not procreation. Hmm, it's possible. I'm really attracted to you because of your genes, may not be the hottest chat-up line, and it could be misinterpreted. Grinder is, let's be honest, brutal. The constant bubbly arpeggio of notes that indicates another man saying hi, and that is the usual initial greeting, with or without an exclamation mark. The lack of originality is always a disappointment. Hello, Daddy, or Nice Muscles, were the other favourite versions of first lines. Daddy, because of the white beard and muscles because I'd posted some pictures of me at the gym. Smiling, too. And that was the hook for me, the willingness to show a relaxed, friendly face. That made the crucial difference. And yet the other question would come up. Not always, but when it was lurking and rising to the surface, I'd spot its approach. Can I ask you something? Was the typical precursor, the tentative softening up. Here we go, I'd think, and I'd be right. How old are you? which would trigger one of my glib sidesteps. Old enough to know better and younger than springtime. Or much older than you, but still younger than David Attenborough. One lad replied, Who's David Attenborough? Oh, God. But they would usually persist, having waited and wondered and finally brought the question out into the open, shiny, sharp and gleaming like a dangerous knife. They weren't about to sheathe it again. So next they'd get my mini rant. Look, you swiped right because something in my photos or written profile led you to think I might be interesting, attractive, sexy, witty, gullible, convenient, available, etc. Not because you'd examined the date of birth on my passport. Well, as you can imagine, that would usually prevent any further discussion and they'd move on to some other older guy they fancied who would tell them the lie they wanted to hear. Sometimes I'd say, if we meet face to face or face to any other body part, you can make an educated guess, and whatever figure you say, I'll agree it's correct. Thirty? Forty? Eighty? Ninety? Yes, you're spot on. Now, let's get on with this chat, drink, massage, sex. Only one guy ever took me up on that offer. Mel. Mel with the fish lips. And we'll get to Mel very shortly. Although my instinct was to avoid the subject, on one occasion I didn't. There was one young man, 
Chris, who had made the inquiry and been rebuffed, tried again and had the standard T's and C's reply, agreed to meet, came to mine, and was having a glass of wine before a massage treatment. He was friendly, smiled well, and had a sense of humour, but not the same one as mine. He thought it was highly amusing to keep pressing on the same door every few sentences. So, how old are you exactly? One other thing, what's your real age? Speaking of Brexit, what year were you born? Ha, bloody ha. Finally, I realised this irritating interrogation would persist even during the imminent sex, so I needed to address it. OK, Chris, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my age, and then we say no more about it. All right? I'll give you the figure, and you don't need to make any response. It's just two numbers, and I won't lie. But then we shut the fuck up about it and have some fun. Deal? Deal, he said. I was 64. So I said confidently, Chris, I'm 54. And he gasped. Wow, you look amazing for your age. Confirming to me what a load of old or young bollocks it is, how pointless to judge and stereotype someone based on how you expect a person of that age to look. Only now does it occur to me that although I was playing a game of bluff with him, he could have been playing a double bluff on me, not believing me for a second, but flattering my ego out of kindness. He's probably 64, knocking a decade off like we all do. Yeah, yeah, he looks 64. Not so dumb after all, young Chris. I was telling Angelo about this at one of our continually frustrating fishing trips at a bar in Soho. Eh, Mr. Jonty, he said in that knee-wobblingly sexy light tenor voice that could melt chocolate, you need not feel embarrassed. Are you ashamed? Ashamed? Was I? Ashamed? Was that it, really? Fuck, yes, I am ashamed. I thought I had rid my life of that poison, refusing to accept it about being gay or middle class or single or bald or enjoying nudity or liking ABBA when everyone else at school was into Led Zeppelin. But now, yes, I'm ashamed of my age. Sixty-four. That's the truth, by the way. I'm still 26 on the air, I've said for decades. How bored my colleagues must have been of hearing me trot out that smug jingle. Or, you know what they say, you're as old as the man you feel. <laughs> Usually mid-twenties, then. I am, I told Angelo. I think I'm ashamed. That's a shocking thing to discover. Thank you. But, Mr. Chanti, you don't need to be ashamed. I like old men. Angelo, older, is kinder. He shrugged the distinction lost on him. Angelo, you've, you've never asked my age. He said it didn't matter to him, and added, I think you're... He looked at me, up and down and up again. You're not yet fifty, maybe forty-six. The bar was dimly lit. Okay. I said, nodding and cool as anything while privately performing cartwheels. Forty-six. Right figures, wrong order. I looked around to see if Angelo had brought a guide dog with him. I learned that Kevin had naked dinners. Not on a regular basis, but every so often. Ad hoc cock. Not sexual, he said. Good, like the parties I'd been to in North and West London. Relaxed, friendly, and very civilised. Well, 
I'd had seven guys fail to show up over seven days, one by one making a lame excuse or evanescing without even bothering to make up a story that their car had caught fire, their hamster had a migraine, or their granny had concussion after a skateboarding accident. Jack, Matt, Andrew, Dan, Guillaume, Cosmin and Narinda. Oh yes, bad manners are a global phenomenon. After a week of being serially pissed off, the idea of another naked gathering was definitely appealing. Kevin lived in the deep south, off the edge of the tube map. He had invited about twenty guys for chili con carne, and when I accepted his kind offer and mentioned that I was vegetarian, he did that, oh no, so what do you eat, thing people used to do about thirty years ago, about the time people used to serve chili con carne. Surely he had met people before who said, I don't eat things with legs. I set off on the trek to the Badlands, and finally reached the far distant postcode of my destination. The house was, how shall I put this, quaint. It was a time warp of nostalgia, but not in a good way. And as for dinner, once I had disrobed in one of the bedrooms, I took my bottle of wine to the scullery, sorry, kitchen. Kevin did his, oh God, a veggie routine again, as if I'd said I could only consume mermaid steaks sprinkled with fairy dust. I've done you a baked potato, he said, splitting said nuked tuber and plonking it on a plate where it lolled from side to side, threatening to tumble onto the lino. You do eat fish, right? He went to the fridge. Right, I said apprehensively, taking the plate and waiting for the next ambrosial morsel. Here you go. He ripped the film off a small plastic tub and tipped the contents onto my potato as if emptying week-old muck from an ashtray. It was pink gunge, something like prawn cocktail. Forks are over there. God, when was that table last cleaned? And salads in that bowl. Help yourself, he said generously. See you downstairs. He left me to it. I washed a fork in hot water and looked at the alleged salad. Clearly a bag of leaves had been opened and emptied. Less dressing than the guys in the basement. I picked at the food, trying to move it around my mouth without swallowing. Not a phrase I wanted to use again that evening. But still, downstairs an open fire was blazing, and there were a dozen naked men standing and sitting around laughing and engaging in conversation. Some I knew, some I didn't. Patrick was there, and we had a conversation about money, he being a banker. I got a drink, sat on the floor near the fire, and chatted to Rob, a photographer, and then Vlado, a Serbian man, who told me he had an identical twin brother, called Zivko. Our mother doesn't know we're both gay, he said. Of course she does, I thought. Communication was difficult because of the acoustics, and the fact that Rob was shouting louder and louder as he got drunker and drunker. I heard him announce, La-la-la land was crap, total crap, several times. I was too hot by the fire and starting to get pissed off. In fact, I went upstairs on the pretense of wanting more food. I tried again to become comfortable downstairs, but felt isolated from the others. Some were becoming tactile, snogging and groping. Like does not mean like. Friend does not mean friend. Meat does not mean meat. Fifty-four does not mean fifty-four. Now it seemed pretty clear that dinner does not mean dinner, and non-sexual does not mean non-sexual. One man, called Xander, couldn't stop touching his own dick when we talked, flicking it, brushing it, tapping it. That decided me. I was off. When I was in the bedroom dressing, Rob came in. He was quite drunk and insisted on talking, why, I'd no idea, about age. No, go on, Jaunty, tell me, just tell me. 
It doesn't matter, Rob. Let it go. But why? Why not? I, I, I won't tell anyone. It's, it's no big deal. Exactly. It's no big deal. God, look at the dust in here. Just say it. Or do you want me to guess? I, I, I'll guess then. I, I, I reckon, I reckon. Look, Rob, I'm 64. Pause. Silence. As I pull on my jeans. No way. 64. That's incredible, uh, incredible. I have said at least 10 years ago that. At least, at least 10 years? No, really? 60? You're 60? What? I hoped he'd have forgotten the entire conversation, as I intended to forget the entire evening by tomorrow. I'd been hoping to slip away, but when I went to leave, I found the front door was locked. Kevin materialised like smoke and said, Oh, you're escaping. I drove home angry. The only thing I'd enjoyed had been my chat with Vlado. The next day, Kevin was at the naked swim. I went to bed at three, he told me, and there were quite a few guys making out on the sofa. I wasn't sure if I was expected to be impressed, intrigued or aroused. I swam away, doing my most prim and prudish breaststroke. Vlado, incidentally, would show me his special trick at a later date. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production. <laughs>